Magandang araw, Podmates! Our guest today has gained global fame from simple solutions to big problems. Ilak Diaz is the founder of Litter of Light and the My Shelter Foundation. Congratulations on everything you've been doing, Ilak. Magandang araw sa'yo. Thank you very much, Howie. It's really uh, small things that people do to make uh, the Philippines and of course with our climate change situation uh, more resilient no, for the future. Okay, Ilak, no, uh, I've before I ask you about your various causes, no, I, I need to ask you about your name. No? <laughs> I've long been intrigued by it. Every time I see it, no? Well, you know, my mom uh, established one of the longest running art galleries, modern art galleries in the Philippines, mm. uh, Galleria Duemila. And her love, of course, for history and art uh, was very strong. And so uh, when she had her firstborn, uh, she looked for something that meant something to her. Uh, I, I was hoping, I was hoping, of course, for many years of my life, because you know how they teased me with my name, uh, especially in Ateneo, uh, that uh, it was something like John or Joseph, uh, mm-hmm. but she chose Ilak. E- and uh, this happened to be because at that time she was reading a book on uh, Inca, Aztec Inca. And mm-hmm. uh, she came across the word uh, Ilak, uh, which was one of their deities, and but it turns out that Ilak means uh, uh, God of Light. So up to today, my mom says, "Remember when you hated your name?" So who's right? <laughs> who's right? So, so you're not one of those life. kids who who decided to you know change his name and and tell all his friends to call you something else from you know something different from what you grew up with. So you, you stuck to it. Well, actually, my second name is uh, my grandfather's name. You know how we all have backup names. Mm-hmm. And so his name was Angelo. But uh, by the time grade two, when I realized I could ask them to change my name, uh, Ateneo, kasi you, you stick to your class, no? the same class uh, throughout. I said, look, call me Angelo. And say, ano, Angel? Hindi ka naman Angel. So uh, Ilak <laughs> stuck. So that's it. And that's the story. Okay. Well, you know, the, the other thing that, that intrigues me uh, is your background, no? your, your uncommon life journey. Uh, your mom is uh, Silvana Diaz, who is an Italian-born artist. Your father, of course, is Filipino, si, si Ramon Diaz, who's, who's also an artist. No? But, you know, you're, you're not, you don't just come from an, uh, an artistic family. You come from a showbiz family, no, Ilak? The Diaz family. No? It's a famous uh, showbiz family. Uh, you know, it's Gloria Diaz, uh, a former uh, Miss Universe. It's your Tita, you're a former model, no? You went to the best schools. I mean, you've you've had a pretty charmed life, uh, Ilak, no? But now you're into grassroots work, no? You're 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 in fact working with plastic bottles, no? Uh, uh, para sa ibang tao, ano yan, basura yan, ano? So it's not exactly the most uh, glamorous kind of uh, grassroots work, no? So in a nutshell, an, ano ba yung backstory ni ni Ilak Diaz? Well, at that time, I was studying and I was also doing apprenticeship. I finished grad school, pursued my degree. Uh, I'm an urban planner. And of course, uh, later on, I took uh, public public administration. But uh, I didn't have that much money. Uh, my family really in the arts, you know, uh, my mom was starting out. She was a stewardess when she arrived and met my father. Uh, in the Philippines. At that time, though, stewardesses had, a, as you said, a charmed life. Uh, at that time, only the very wealthy would travel and go to the most exotic. They traveled to travel. And so Manila, of course, was the exotic place to, to be. 
and uh, that was the end destination of Alitalia, no? uh, the Italian airline. Mm. And so, so there. So uh, when she met my father, she basically had to to start something, and arts was something in her blood. So she started as an apprentice. While I was in her stum- tummy, she would finish her interior design to look for a new life in the Philippines. So yes, uh, but. One of the things that I had, which was lucky, was uh, Gloria Diaz, my 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 auntie, uh, who was very generous, and Rio Diaz, who was you know Eat Bulaga, uh, also a star. Mm. And uh, I wanted some additional income, and so she they said, look, you know, besides your studies, do you want to model? And just like any young man, I I wanted uh, extra extra income, and so that's what that's what happened. I was a regular student, and then I. At night, I would get run over by a car, or I would get shot. You know how it starts out with show business. You're you're always the yung 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 victima or one of the stand-ins. So ano to sa mga teleserye? Teleserye, speaking roles, whatever I could get, and come to class mm-hmm. like seven o'clock in the morning. It was a double life. But uh, what I would do in one talk show or one Saturday uh, hosting would be the same amount of money I would earn for my plates, no, for my month uh, salary. So I did enjoy it, but I didn't forget my studies. But of course, I was not the best student because I was do- having this dual life. And I wanted it. My dream was to use the money to travel and, of course, uh, get educated. And I wanted to save up to study in a foreign school. And at the time, my parents were still uh, that struggling. So, yeah, I did live a, a dual life, but it was fantastic. It was fantastic. At night, I didn't know who I, I was going to be uh, from week to week. And uh, I, I love that kind of opportunity no i didn't it, it was something that uh, gave me uh, a, a view into two lives okay so you were actually on a very promising uh, career trajectory as an artista no so uh, what what changed uh, your your career path as usual tunong dunong <laughs> Oh my god <laughs> atenista talaga tulong dunong uh, okay tulong dunong uh, there was a professor uh, that was uh, asking everybody to write their uh, their hopes and ambitions, no? And so everybody wrote down, and uh, he he opened up uh, one of the sessions. Says, "Look, I've read all of your uh, in your aspirations, and I want to say this: everything is right, no? Your ambitions are right. It's very good. You want to be a better architect, furniture designer, world leader. But he said, how is it that the brightest the brightest in this class, the brightest of the nation, you know, naman they exaggerate, wants to make life better for those already that are have so much in life. What about those that will never be able to come into your office to ask for a better life for themselves, which is at that time a staggering more than 50% was 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 really in the poverty. So he said, look, success is not that you're not successful. Huh? Make yourself a success. But also have an ambition to bring people along with you. And that's the way this country will have, you know, a better uh, living, uh, will have better living conditions. And so that really impressed it, me. Yeah, yeah, look, I'll just backtrack a little bit because you mo yung Tulong Dunong. No? Tulong Dunong is a uh, program uh, for uh, high school seniors in Ateneo High School. No, It's a part of the uh, curriculum where you, all the high school seniors go to public schools to tutor, no? but it's actually part of their education. They're exposed to people who are kids who are less uh, advantaged. So you were exposed to uh, communities, to public school uh, kids, and then parang pinaprocess nyo sa classroom yung 
mga reflections niyo? Tama ba yon? Well, definitely. It was wonderful. I, I mean, for me, I really saw going there, uh, looking at the way people lived, going into their houses. I mean, I didn't live in Makati. I, I, I took the bus. I remember overspending once and not having one peso uh, to be able to go home. So I walked it. I knew the value of money. And there were people that, as I said, low income. And, and that opened my eyes and I became very good friends. So yes, it, it changed me and I started putting up like small services. Even beyond that, my spot was Marikina. And also do more work with sign language where I would teach math and sciences to the next door. You know, you just jump across uh, to to the deaf and mute for math and sciences. So you were tutoring the deaf and mute using sign language. Okay. Yes. That's a very unusual. I remember. Yes. I, I still I still have friendships among them up to now. Habang nag-aartista ka, you, you had this experience in mind. Describe your shift. Paano ka nag-shift? Sabi mo nga, you're thinking of solutions to poverty and you think about global problems and not just your own little world. So, uh, medyo, you, you know, you evolved quite a bit. No? So, tell us a little bit about that. Paano, paano ka naging ano, uh, social entrepreneur? So, I guess uh, that that formula, no? that uh, be successful but bring people along with your success was, was still very much imprinted in my mind when uh, I was starting to get better gigs. I also did international routes, so I went around Southeast Asia and really saw the disparities between how I was living and all the privileges. Another tunong-dunong thing is if you don't do something, if you don't extend your hand, then you're making it more difficult for somebody else to give their share. Give your share matched with your privilege or access. And that little counts, no? and little or more counts. So this is where I started realizing that I should keep that. So I started out, of course, like with any young person, uh, when I didn't have money, I volunteered. Uh, when I had money, I would donate. And then I would join these outreaches that were not mine, whatever corporate would join. And that's where I realized I really could uh, do something. And I, the big part of the shift really was I attended this uh, event where an international NGO was, was speaking and they were showing about pictures of the Philippines and about poverty. There's a low income area right next to the bigger cuts of land. And uh, I've never seen kids that were dirty, the way, with insects. The way that you present Filipinos, what does the world think about us? I've not seen the Filipinos that you're explaining to me. So I got very insulted. And one of the things he said when I kept on pestering, he said, said you know, I, we don't get that much donations by presenting a healthy, happy Filipino <laughs> right, right into my <laughs> face. So that's when I said to him, you know what, uh, one day I'm going to build a, a, a foundation that's going to show that Filipinos are not just the victims, not just receiving money, because what will the world think about this begging, always troubled society? I said, that's not true. We're progressive. We're, I'm very proud of it. So I told him, I'll build a global organization. Of course, not knowing what a global organization was. And uh, you know me, I'm very determined, just like my track and field, just like I, I wanted I wanted the best for myself. But I also felt that I also felt that there was an international opportunity for uh, Filipinos to do humanitarian work, to be not only greatest boxers, beauty queen like my auntie, uh, but also we can be respected more by filling in a niche. Ilak, of all the things you could have done, how did you end up with plastic bottles? 
liter of light or yung isang litrong liwanag? Before you answer that question, let's pause for a break. Okay, so of all the things you could have done no, to, to give back, to do you know, humanitarian work, how did you end up working with uh, plastic bottles, using them to provide light, no? yung light sa, sa mga bahay, no? itong liter of light or isang litrong liwanag no? sa Tagalog. No? So, paano nag-evolve yun? Isang litrong liwanag was... Uh, you would say my second foundation. The first foundation, I don't know, well, three. The first one was the Ferrer Center in mm-hmm. Intramuros, where for 50 pesos a night, you don't have to travel to Luneta from all these corners. You can have a good uh, shower. Uh, there was a job board. Wala pang internet doon. Para sa mga seamen ito, no? yung mga, oh, yeah. mig- mga migratory seamen na walang matirhan sa, sa Maynila. Yeah. I realized that uh, philanthropy was not for me. As I was trying to think of building these global organizations, I realized that a lot of Filipino NGOs, including the one I was learning how to put up, uh, could not rely on this model of waiting for money or begging for money to do good. That's where social enterprise at its beginnings, really where people would pay me to be able to help them. And I would be able to, like any Sari Sari store, start with something small and then it would grow. So later on, I started building classrooms, uh, bamboo, uh, soil, plastic bottles. Remember, I was trying to build an organization and I didn't come from a very wealthy family. So I, I same thing with social enterprise is I started to look for materials that were abundant. Uh, cement, steel, and glass from uh, what you would call manufactured materials from uh, hardwares were one of the most expensive ways for me to contribute. And of course, uh, uh, using that bote, those thousands of plastic bottles that people threw, that this would be bricks, no? You'd fill it up with uh, what is called stabilized earth with a little bit of cooked lime and earth it would be a, a brick no so i uh, howie when i was trying to build the organization i said look i i, I have this world conquering in mind but i don't have the money uh, what what what's it gonna be so i had to look for trash i had to look for trash or or something that would be the foundation of building thousands of schools and this was this is where i went now one of the things that i did not have along with bricks was glass Glass was really expensive. You know, flat glass. Yung, yung, yung window, no? Yeah, yeah. And so one of the ways I would do it is would, I would fill bottles of water and uh, put it in between the, the, the plastic bottle bricks. And so this would let light in, especially if I'm on the mountain, uh, to let light into the, the school. Later, of course, that evolved into plastic bottles on the metal sheets. So that way I would have the whole side facing the the sun uh, to let light uh, through the schools. Of course, even if I built the schools, uh, the energy distributor or the energy company, uh, wala pang solar dati, would, uh, would not want, or it was not economically viable to, to go there. Now, one of the things, of course, uh, besides glass was, was plastic bottles. Now, this is where the transition came. What about at night? Uh, at that time, I don't know if you remember it, there were three shifts in the school. One in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then the evening. No, so so I was saying, uh, what about the night? And that's where I transitioned into 
solar energy. So right now I had plastic bottle windows, fill it up with water, put bleach uh, to stop, you know, to stop the growth of algae. Uh, algae and it would bounce and you know refraction I, I these are things that you know you learn in school nakita mo yung need nito no because obviously uh you well first uh you, you started building classrooms and structures kasi meron kang my shelter foundation but of course uh hindi siya masyadong useful kung walang ilaw no so <laughs> you had to you had to develop a way of lighting up these these places no so itong technology na to it's a form of passive uh solar no pero you started uh, evolving into a more active uh, solar energy, you know, meaning uh, you started using batteries. Because sabi mo nga sa gabi, of course, uh, in, you could, you were not able to store the light you were absorbing uh, during the day, you know. So pang araw lang yung technology niyan, ano. So ngayon, uh, ano na yung status nito? Because when you started, uh, very limited pa yung kuryente sa maraming lugar, no, sa sa Pilipinas. But now, of course more and more communities are being connected so how are you evolving now with that no and and of course solar energy itself is evolving no uh, mas mas mura na ngayon yung technology ang solar panels mas mas mura na ngayon so do you think uh, itong itong mga letters of light itong mga plastic bottles uh, technology na inintroduce mo sa mga maraming lugar is it becoming outdated na well, I could go on and say, first of all, 13 million paren sa Pilipinas uh, don't have access to 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 electricity. Uh, when you say uh, connected communities or 100 connected communities, uh, there's always a variance, no? You know, it, there's always an interpretation. So having lights that reach the barangay hall and uh, a couple of houses is not commensurate to the fact that there is a growing population. Howie, when you say connected, you should really talk about the percentage of people with actual uh, connections. When you say, uh, uh, of course, a growth in solar uh, solar fields or windmills, you also have to qualify the fact that uh, most of these are heavy finance, uh, very expensive, and also you have to repay them. No? They don't give this thing free. So just like hydro, uh, it usually flies over communities that actually own the land or are poor communities from there, and they go straight to the cities which pay for it. So there's still that interpretation that just because we have power plants, that mean that doesn't mean that everybody can afford the electricity rates, and therefore uh, they don't give free electricity along the way. No, this is it. It's like a it's like a long power line straight to the city, and so you have to. You have to understand that we also need all kinds of technologies. Second, with solar in, in villages, yes, they are, they're imported, patented, and they're expensive. That's great. If you could give a million solar lights today, that's great. But just because it's imperfect, the battery lasts, maybe the ones that I see, they expend themselves, nickel cadmium, in about a, a year and a half. So you're going to have to redo that million lights again. And so our role in Litter of Light is sort of that part where it's repairable, it's scalable. We use whatever we can. I use bamboo as the base of solar lights in the, Roh the Rohingya communities that I serve. Uh, we use bamboo. Uh, in, uh, in, in Africa, uh, my Senegal, my Kenya, Congo, uh, we use uh, uh, 
pottery. We use pottery as the base. Uh, in the Philippines, I use recycled uh, PVC pipes because a lot of those are coastal communities, disaster areas. So uh, I still believe that available parts uh, from, of course, waste and, of course, uh, that you can purchase uh, is a very DIY part of our uh, operations. It's very important uh, to build this kind of local grassroots rather than imported, patented, expensive, because I see a lot of that trashed. So when you go to schools and say, look, it's solar, you have to analyze. Even when uh, Typhoon Haiyan, which was really a turning point in my career, when I went there, that one just received, I think, like $30 million worth of solar panels in schools. And when I was trying to to revive them, they were all, many of them were broken after several years. So uh, these kind of imported patented expensive have a limited life. And at that time, you would have to understand that uh, batteries uh, needed to be replaced. And so how can you have a technology that had a, a, a lifespan, but you didn't have facilities here to be able to repair it uh, uh, cheaply? And so that's where Litter of Light started saying, you know, we do have all the parts. Uh, it's of course, it's not like laser cut or built in factories into what is called micro circuits, which even me, I cannot fix. But uh, you go also go to China. So when I went to China, I realized that many of the solar panels that you built, you uh, mga two watts, it's all hand built. Uh, there are women that cut the solarettes with laser and then they put it by hand and they solder it by hand from a five watt panel. They cut it, the five watts, the watts that you see on the solar panel into what is called baby solarette. So it was, it was like, wow, why are we insisting on, on already manufactured goods when there was a possibility to build longer term uh, solar products locally? And so that's where uh, Solar Power Philippines, uh, where you could do backyard, uh, your own small businesses, or litter of light where you could serve communities using, of course, uh, readily found parts. But most importantly, you could build skills on a village. So my thing was, if you cannot fix this with a screwdriver in a village or work with a woman cooperative to make yourself obsolete, then it's not a solution uh, for us. So that was that was what started and and it grew all around the world no? to serve those underserved communities. Basically, what you said often, uh, ang nagiging connected lang, uh, nagkakaroon lang ng kuryente through the grid ay yung mga nasa sentro. Like the, sabi mo nga, yung the barangay hall or maybe even the school. But uh, a lot of the homes, especially in the outlying areas, hindi pa rin na, naabot ng uh, nitong, uh, itong bagong connections na, sa mga community. So even as uh, rural connections expand, uh, there's still a need for small-scale uh, initiatives like yours, no? Itong itong standalone uh, solar contraptions. Well, well you, you, you see this. Uh, you see this in the missionary funds, no? It's in your electricity bill. You're actually paying for small little side electricity, and it's very much needed, no? That's where they charge their cell phones. Uh, it, it's very much needed, but I would I would qualify this hundred percent electrification. Uh, it needs what is called a mixed mixed solutions, no? And and a lot of it is renewable energy. You know very much how we that you know we're seven thousand one hundred islands, uh, but also where litter of light started out uh, becoming much bigger was into this emergency solar lighting. So Tacloban, which of course we will have an anniversary next year, 
uh, the 10-year anniversary when I really started Litter of Light formally uh, was really that impetus, if you want to call it, to, to, to scale globally and around these critical places around the world. Many of us know what happened. Uh, thousands of people died. Uh, uh, I was one of those who covered uh, this disaster. No, uh, I, I went there. Talagang uh, and daming nawasak na bahay. People were just waiting for help from the outside world, uh, and it was dark. No, daming ng disaster sa Pilipinas. No, pero bakit ito? Bakit yung typhoon Yolanda ang sinasayang mong turning point sa iyong career? I was already doing climate resilient architecture, which was I was working with the United Architects of the Philippines. By the time I was already in grad school, I was mentioning already uh, that most of the professors were talking about the increasing uh, changes in climate. And one of the main engines was really the Pacific Ocean, where really with the heat being trapped, it was generating more and more energy to create these kind of super storms. And I, and I say superstorms is what happened, not the 300 kilometer per hour winds. So I was already doing uh, at that time working with the United Nations uh, to create this global competitions to design better housing or if you want to call it more specifically schools, because this is where people run to in case of emergency. So Litter of Light was already moving away from the daylight in a big way. Uh, we were already using simple circuitry. Uh, we did not have lights in our school, so we were teaching this, the the mothers uh, to spend time to build, uh, to convert kerosene lamps. They would bring me the kerosene lamp and I would bring, uh, at that time, you know, I would even scratch these metal plates to make simple circuitry. And they would bring the lights to the schools. And so there I would start teaching the women cooperatives to rent out solar instead of sell uh, kerosene. I spent about a couple of months there, but I would uh, buy parts from Cebu or Legaspi and uh, build these solar lights with that mm -hmm. time. They would have this thing called handout payments, this, these payments. And so I, for, for work, for cleaning, they would give people money to be able to be part of the rehabilitation. And so one of the things I said is, why don't we just build solar lights? Uh, luckily at that time, a soft drink company uh, also uh, had thousands and thousands of plastic bottles. They knew at that time, you know, that I was the plastic bottle guy, <laughs> Bambobote, building schools <laughs> and building. I said, can you do anything? We have a fund. And I said, yeah, I can build street, street lights. So I was already building street lights in, in villages from, uh, from the school to the village to keep the kids safe. And so I used PVC, bamboo, uh, the plastic bottle at the time, uh, how we, we would put the LEDs from motorcycles. So I use LEDs from motorcycles around the world. So if it breaks, you can go to your motorcycle shop, especially in developing countries. Motorcycles are very easy parts that to find in any mm -hmm. village. So I would put them in the plastic bottle so they wouldn't get wet. And there uh, I built about 8,000 lights for tents. Uh, I didn't build them. I brought in the parts and then we also started forming women cooperatives there that would build and repair and maintain the lights. So that's, <clears throat> that was one of my first big uh, contracts uh, to be able to light up, uh, light up uh, uh, Tacloban. So there, I was there about uh, four, four months in the area. Kasi itong approach mo, no? it's uh, intended not just to provide light, no? uh, but uh, also livelihood. So, paano nangyayari ito? They assemble these solar lights and then 
nabebenta ba talaga to? I mean, who, who will buy them? I mean, a lot of people just expect dole outs, di ba? Lalo na, pag uh, alam nila galing sa labas, no? Uh, you're, you're an outsider. You go in there and people... Don't people expect to be, to be given these lights for free? I mean, what, what will motivate them to, to buy? This is where the, the problem of scale happened to me. At first, when I was working with the women cooperatives, uh, I would give them the money to be able to start out their, what you call a solar startup, where I would convert the kerosene lamps into solar and then they can rent it out. No? So they rent out the solar pa- panel and the light itself uh, to a household and they would collect from it. Uh, for the street lights, uh, it would be solar, but the women uh, would go around house to house and get a little bit of money from each, you know, it's like Meralco, just collect it. And then this would keep the villages lit and of course light inside the light inside the house. If it breaks, they can repair it. They don't have to go to Manila. We would teach them how to use this. At that time, it was led. This uh, solar batteries were already starting to become more relevant. Now, this is the trick. This is a trick. How how could an organization start like you know working with three hundred women cooperatives? Because their husbands would uh, sell vegetables or fish to the city. So they would take their jeep or whatever they have, a small little truck. They would go to Manila unload their vegetables and of course go back home na empty no of course buy a few things for their wives or whatever the village and then bring it back so once they dump it in the wet market we would have this free ride back to the villages all over uh, the philippines no i mean as far as visayas so that would be the way that litter of light would operate to maintain all of these solar lights without us having to have our own trucks uh, to go to 300 villages i was trying to build uh, a solar uh, DIY work with the cheapest materials and and build this solar uh, grassroots movement uh, using, as I said, an already available farm to market, and of course backhaul it back to these villages uh, mm-hmm. and maintain it. So when uh, Takloban happened, I already knew I already knew how to be able to 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 scale it, and so there. Uh, I was asked to to light it up. Do you know? Uh, well, I wrote a, I wrote I co-wrote a paper. Uh, it's it's called shrinking the value chain, uh, and sixty to eighty percent of humanitarian funds go into logistics. Sixty to eighty, and this is you know UN numbers. So you have to understand that uh, in humanitarian work, that a lot of the traditional one of just providing it or tinatawag na handouts goes to move it from one side of the world to the other. In the Philippines, philanthropy is something great, but I mean, to get money is something good, but it seldom happens. That's why many NGOs don't really grow out of their extension of the house. Social enterprise is something where you do have to try to think. So what's the business model of it? First of all is there's already money in the village, 35%. If you move that carbon-based dependency not only is it a reduction in in health risk fire risk but it also keeps the money in the villages by teaching them to go solar right now that money can be now used for health education uh, whatever whatever the communities deem fit Uh, what's also powerful is the women group now has greater income or greater resources the way that i build up on that or how we to build up more women cooperatives around the world is uh, something that, as I said, also inspired by Gawad Kalinga. This is where we engage with corporates. 
Now, what happens is, uh, remember, Gawad Kalinga is they buy the materials and then they engage the corporates to help build it. And then you have the houses built. So once again, I didn't invent it. Uh, what I did is sort of the Gawad Kalinga of solar. I get all the materials and the parts. I bring them into the corporate headquarters or schools or wherever I can get a donation. They pay for the materials. I charge them for the experience of building it. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when you bring all the things there, they start building it. And then we charge them also to bring them to the villages to donate it. So that's the way I do it. I get these solar lights. I earn, I earn from putting together this corporate events and then we donate them to the women cooperative. So it's not the traditional one where solar lights are being sold to the villages. I don't deplete that. I actually get uh, the donation of solar lights that I do through these corporate events. I donate them to new women cooperatives to shift out of kerosene so they can start renting it out. They also do, of course, now we have 101, the solar lamps, 102 is the is the mobile chargers and 103 is the street light. So all of this goes into the women cooperative for free and they make a business, uh, their own vacuum is they, they rent out the solar lights, charge for mobile chargers and of course charge for the public lighting system. So there is no charge uh, that if the corporates give me all the lights, I earn my 25% from that. And it gives me a whole batch of solar lights to start out this transition to clean energy in the villages. Well, you mentioned nga, this uh, shift from uh, kerosene lamps no, to, to solar. Uh, kerosene, of course, is not just a hazard uh, from, from the fumes, but uh, it's also a, a major source of home fires. You have to start looking for new sources of energy especially for rural communities, mountainous communities. You're talking about the 13 million person uh, uh, line. As I said, as, as we try to reach it, uh, we have not invested that much into traditional uh, coal and diesel plants to be able to match the growth in population. We need more and more kinds of new ways of doing things. Now, one of the things that was much neglected is really uh, this kind of for the bottom of the pyramid, which is how do you create a more sustainable clean energy system? We have to produce our own products, basically. Yeah, yeah. We, ha we have to start yeah. learning how to create our own solar industry rather than mm. buying everything wholesale because they don't, la they don't last. Well, speaking of which, now I want to ask you about scale. No, because people, of course, need light. That's uh, essential. But they also need to power their their phones, their uh, appliances, their laptops, water pumps, etc., which you can't do with plastic bottles. You have plans to scale up? Are you in, are you tempted to go into you know, larger scale uh, projects like uh, solar farms or? Our wind farms, uh, you know, the technology is becoming cheaper. It's evolving, becoming more accessible. Then, are you, is that on the horizon for you? Well, we're in thirty-two countries. No, I have two hundred twelve staff uh, in thirty-two countries. Uh, we have uh, thousands of members uh, that that go with us. So, we we use the same business model that we do in the Philippines where we engage with corporates. We affect about a million people a year. Uh, and so we have no single factory. Uh, we really go with, uh, with a system where corporates or schools or events build solar lights. 
and then we donate them to women cooperatives that maintain them. Uh, one of the things that has grown is the women cooperatives can build it without us because they know they're so good at knowing how to fix it by hand. And of course, their husbands are also learning about it. So they go to the nearest town instead of sourcing it from us in the center city. These parts are mostly available. Uh, 18650s from vape batteries, uh, used cell phone. Uh, a lot of the cities throw away just because your cell phone doesn't charge for one whole day. Most people throw away perfectly good cell phone battery uh, that, that we can reuse. Uh, there's so many ways to skin this cat. No? So, but what's important to me is the technology must not lie in litter of light, but it must be contained uh, in the people themselves, the institutional knowledge, how to scale. Now, there are solar plants. Of course, uh, this is something that we have different kind of small investments. So we invest some equity in it, but we are not in the solar plant business. We're still in the bottom most, most approach. We work with women cooperatives from Kenya, uh, Bangladesh, in this really, really rural areas. It's still so much to do. So we're not scaling up from there. We, we're perfectly happy. But what we're doing, Howie, which which is with, uh, with the grant given by, as I said, Google, was now that we're able to stabilize power in villages through women cooperatives maintaining the the street lights is we're putting small raspberry pies we're putting a, a technology where we link the whole villages so that they can text each other across the village so we have workshops all around the world for a soft drink manufacturer we did it in seven countries uh for a you know a green power company in europe and so we expanded around the world uh, doing this kind of sustainable build it yourself. And I'm expanding here in Australia. Remember, I started talking to you 60 to 80% of operations, humanitarian operations are, are with uh, logistics, right? So we make it that every country has a supply point without us having to be there. So in Africa, Kenya provides the solar panels uh, in, in, in my South, South America. So solar is becoming available, but solar products are still not given to the low, due to the bottom. Well, Ilak, you're, sabi mo, you're in, you're in Australia setting up an office there. No, Australia is not exactly a developing world, uh, country. Uh, bakit kailangan ng project mo dyan? Uh, or is that a f- kind of a fundraising or corporate center for your, uh, your pro your project for Caribbean, Guatemala, Honduras. It's America uh, that we fundraise. Uh, we do workshops there, and then those workshops uh, raise funds for up to South America. Uh, in Italy, Italy because my mother's ha- Italian, uh, we raise funds for Senegal, Kenya, uh, Congo, uh, and other places. But for uh, climate hit communities, I need more money for my Rohingya operations, my India operations. And Australia is one of the richest and, you know, I would say it's uh, uh, sophisticatedly green communities. For example, these superstorms are hitting Vanatu, this kind of uh, superstorms, whereas it used to hit the Philippines. Now they're moving uh, uh, eastward. So islands that they used to fly over are now being hit. So as I said, superstorms in Vanatu, wiping them out. I started out island communities now, so I need money from this region. I just want to start uh, uh, winding up by asking about your career as a social entrepreneur. No, I mean, a lot of young people might be listening to this. Is this a viable career? Is this replicable for other young people who, you know, who, who want to think about things that are larger than themselves? 
The world does not work like, for example, I realized that help must come from uh, Western technology. Like technology must be brought in uh, to be able to to solve. I think for many times, like waiting for Superman, it, it just never arrives. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can't wait for others to be able to help this kind of situation to bring up people, especially through the old ways, which is charity, aid grants, bilateral agreement. I mean, the Philippines is one of the largest recipients of this kind of aids, but uh, does it help sustain better lives for all? Uh, we need to have our own independent ways of doing it. And social enterprise for a Filipino uh, has changed the world for me. I mean, starting out with the f- little funds that I had in the Philippines, growing it into this kind of international operations. But uh, it's very exciting. I mean, uh, in October, uh, we were commissioned uh, to to light up the pyramids in Giza. So we're building it out of thousands of pottery and making a solar artwork in the pyramids. Uh, we are also part of FIFA, the opening event. Uh, so what I'm saying is it's been the most exciting. It's a very exciting career. In 2019, we did a, a trip uh, honoring, of course, the 500 years of the Magellan trip. Uh, we took a, a mm-hmm. 100-day trip around the world on the boat. And every port that we landed along the route of Magellan, uh, we would light up the communities, Madagascar, South Africa, South America. We even went all the way down to Magellan Straits in Chile, uh, the island communities, Easter Island. So we went around the world. It's very exciting. It's because that you know that every month or every week, you have clients that bring in money. The only thing about social enterprises, you cannot touch the equity. You give yourselves a salary and that's it. The nice thing about social enterprises, you're not going to end up as a, as a begging to do good in the world. There are people that uh, financially will be able to work with you, you earn, and at the same time, you can hire good people. So for young people around the world, especially the way that you've known NGOs in the Philippines to be begging and poor and always asking for funds. I mean, we do ask for help, but it's shared value with social enterprise. It's very empowering. It's it's very exciting. And, you know, as I said, once you start going global, where there are solutions in the Philippines that are needed south-south, there are solutions in the Philippines that are needed around the world. I mean, I'm a plastic bottle guy, and yet I'm relevant in many places around the world that don't have access to light. Started in the Philippines, but is going global. And we can become global. You can grow from that small operation to a global operation and, and, and still live a good life. Of course, you have to understand, my car is a 1995 Nissan Safari. It's, I had it for 25 years. It works very well. I, I don't need to buy a new car. There are some kind of life choices <laughs> that, that, uh, that I have to do. I, when, I, you know, when I got graduate school abroad, I had to apply three times because my salary level uh, was not. But I did enter in some of the best schools in the world. People will give you chances as long as you're you're doing good with those chances that you give. I married late, you know. I married. Uh, I married last year. Uh, there, Congratulations. There are, some, there are some choices, but just like everything else, it's a it's a very fulfilling life. It's a it's now a global life. You know, I flew from Boston to Dubai uh, from my, you know, from my New Jersey office to my Dubai office now. And I'm flying here to try to put up a new office here. But the world is large and I have 212 wonderful staff. They're young people. As I said, I lost two thirds of them during COVID, uh, now rebuilding. But it's it's incredible. Uh, and, and also because 
in the end, it's what you leave back in the world. And I think since I come from a privileged life, privileged connections, it's exciting to use that uh, for the greater humanitarian good. As I said, uh, I could easily have bought something with the money I, I, I was earning, but I, I like it better this way. How long do you think you'll be doing this? Well, it, it's it's a mixed blend. No? So now that I'm married, I'm putting more money into investments. As I said, I've always had a good head on my shoulders, invested in invested in companies, invested in land. Uh, I'm not I'm not silly, no, that uh, that I will rely on on on, on this kind of salary uh, all the time. Like just like COVID, you know, you never know <laughs> something like this will hit mm-hmm. you. But but uh, I do have a steady uh, income uh, from other investments. You have to, but I'm, I, I love the job that I have, but I have to make sure that I have other, uh, what you would call passive income, uh, rich dad, poor dad stuff. Okay, well, on, uh, on that personal note, Ilak, we'd like to uh, thank you for your, for your time, for, for sharing your story, and for what you're doing for the world. Mabuhay ka, Ilak Diaz, founder of Litter of Light. Thank you for letting me tell this story. No? If, if I can make a global operation out of uh, Mambobote, International Mambobote. Uh, can, I, I can imagine the new young people, what, what they can do for the world. So very excited mm. for the next Filipinos to show the world that, you know, we're not just victims and handout or we just copy programs abroad. No, we're copy paste, but we can create our own. This episode was produced by the team of Aubrey de los Reyes and Chan Salvador and edited by J.R. Magtoto with the wonderful people of GMA News and Public Affairs Digital. Thank you, Podmates, for staying until the very end of this podcast. And remember, nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Mabuhay kayo at ingat lagi.